Hello, gang. How on earth is it going? What on earth are you doing? Why on earth? Why on earth? Welcome to Nick Flanagan Weekly. I am Nick. This is the show I host. And yes, summer has been sporadic episode-wise, okay? I apologize. I'm trying here. There's been impediments. Don't forget. Death. Not my own. COVID. Got COVID for the first time. Had to work a bunch. As soon as I got better. Now here I am. Also, I have done an interview. And um, that's... I don't know if I'd call this one an interview. It's more of a fun convo. And it is with the my hilarious friend. My... Uh, one of the most best uh, joy-loving uh, people I know, friends, uh, Jesse Elias, who I've had on the show before in an episode called You Sound Like German Yoda, which I can't remember if that was some sort of insult I did to him. I think it was because I talked about a character he did once. Um, anyway... I met Jesse in Los Angeles. He's originally from the Bay Area. Really hilarious comedian. Uh, but again, he also hosted a podcast called Flavorcast. He does a lot of stuff. I saw him do a lot of things uh, when I was living in L.A. that involved audiovisual stuff, and he would make the music. He's very meticulous. If you want to get a hold of the podcast, right, weeklypodcast at gmail.com, W-E-A-K-L-Y podcast at gmail.com. You can uh, throw us a buck or two, ko-fi.com slash Nick Flanagan. And of course, you can follow me on all that stuff. But Jesse Elias is on Twitter under Final Fan Jesse 7. So that's Final Fan Jesse 7. A play on the video game Final Fantasy 7, which may or may not be his favorite video game of all time. That's why I called this more of a convo than an interview. It really is just Jesse and I transporting our conversations, our wistfulness about all the awesome stuff we loved in the 80s and 90s and a little bit beyond, maybe. Um, we have these great conversations about it that are, are fun and they don't feel like the usual member berries, you know. And uh, yeah, so we talk about bonkers, the candy. We talk about married with children, we talk about some other stuff. So uh, yeah, this is more of a conversation about um, ancient pop culture. Maybe that doesn't sound that exciting to you. Well, guess what? Oh, whip your head around, turn it to a full 360, because I think you'll like this. Here is my chat with Jesse Elias. Hi, Jesse, how are you doing? Thank you for coming along to my show. Oh, thanks for having me. Is there anything you'd like to tell the podcast world about you? I know you were on the podcast once before, but would you like to try again? Um, no, I think that's it. I, I think that's my my list of credits is d doing this podcast. You hosted a show called The Flavor Cast. Yeah. Yeah. And it dealt with one of your uh, passions in life, which is uh, flavors, new flavors. Old flavors. Unknown flavors. It's mostly flavors. new flavors. Interesting. But interesting flavors, but still in a very, like, you could buy them at a carnival kind of flavor. Not not gastro, not not the gourmet thing, you know. No, strictly, um, you know, manufactured goods, pretty much. Like uh, new flavors of Slurpees, new flavors of Mountain Dew, new flavors of, you know, jelly belly, jelly beans, what have you. And this passion for flavor is something you've had for, were, were you as a child in the eighties and nineties, were you denied flavor? No. And this is kind of your, your, oh, okay. I, I just, I always enjoyed flavors. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of like my earliest memory of being excited about a flavor or something. Um, coming up short i mean i remember what the 90s was kind of the introduction of like not the introduction but like the real resurgence of there was like a watermelon renaissance in the 90s 
Watermelon. Yeah, watermelon was a big thing. Peach also became a very special flavor. I feel like there was like a trio in the 90s of blue raspberry, sour green apple, and watermelon. Where, where's peach in it, though? I, I don't consider peach to really be a 90s flavor, to be honest with you. Um, oh, we had those sour or peaches, peach, peach fuzz, I think they were called. Fuzz. And they were, yeah, they were really good. Was it actual fuzz? No, it was just a, you know, um, you know, piece of rubbery glop that was like sort of had a little yellow and a little the rings, you know, a little, little red, right? Was it? Yeah, uh, the rings were out there, right. but these were more um, solid. There was no circle. They had nothing donut-like, nothing ring-like. What, what shape were they? Um, I guess like vaguely peach-shaped. So like the little, know? they're just, they're kind of spherical. Spherical, ovular, you know, ovalic. I know you've been you like to go on about Blonkers a lot. Um, I yeah, you know, I did some uh, digging around and I found there's all kinds of uh, Blonkers has a really big following. Uh, I guess I just missed the boat on that one. I don't know. Well, Blonkers was very special because it was like. You know, variances of, of of standard packaging were always really noticed, even if they were small mm -hmm. at the time. So bonkers were not quite as kind of mass produced as, as Starburst or something or Lifesavers, if you had Lifesavers, you know. They were um, in this kind of cool aluminum that kind of hugged the inner packaged treats very well and they were they almost looked were like a locomotive kind of shape like a bullet train you know but if the bullet was like a, a square at the end and then they had this like strip that you could remove to open up like the whole thing and it just came it was so thin and it was like kind of red and you took it off and it was always really exciting to remove that strip so bonkers did they did a couple of uh, brand tie-ins and okay they did a ninja turtles tie-in i mean they were very much aligned with you know being advertised in comic books and i'm sad i know. never got to try them or if i did try them i it was like maybe like one time when i was too young to appreciate it or something because i have no memory of these things they look amazing they look like um the artwork on the package it looks like a bubblicious almost um i was gonna say that that was one of the closest um cousins of it bonkers was great because the way it was designed was it was this sort of square yeah and then it had like a square within that was the color of the flavor at least that was yeah. the layers are really appetizing um now i'm looking at a photo of yeah. it and it's quite <laughs> the photo of Bonkers is a bit different from the drawing of Bonkers. Uh, it was very waxy for sure. You it, you can make out it has those little grooves on the side from the machinery. Yes, it, but those were good. Those were good. Those are very bubblegum, very bubblegum. You know, very hubba bubba bubblicious. Yeah, those grooves um, remind me of um, what was that candy? Everyone liked the banana flavor. Um, Yucks. Uh, popsicle? It was another, like, chewy rectangle candy. Um, uh, go, now and Later, Now and Later. It reminds me of Now and Later. Oh, I, I never had Now and Later, but that's a very classy name. Uh, you know, candy used to have such classy names. Now and Laters were not very good. They were, like, stale Starbursts. They were, like, Starbursts that were, like, a year old and just, like, <laughs> it's like well, in galvanized... But this was another reason Bonkers stood out to me was that, you know, a big thing with Hubba Bubba and to a lesser extent Bubblicious and definitely Bazooka Joe for going all the way down there is that they all cultivated this kind of old timey thing. Like, you know, the, the idea that you're chewing the same type of gum that, you know, Nancy and Sluggo once chewed or, you know, 
And so the you Charlie think you, Brown you, kids might chew. You consider bonkers to be a gum. I've heard that you're because I, I heard that you. No, no, that's not what I'm getting to. It's a it's if anything, it's a gummy. But yeah. what it was good. But it, it is very close to just being an edible version of Hubba Bubba, like the with the stuff in the center. Absolutely. Or a Bubblicious. That's what it. You know, bub, yeah. Bubblicious had some of the best flavors you could ever ask for. Uh, I'm on the Wikipedia now to try and figure out how long it lasted when it was discontinued. Wasn't it about five to seven years? It doesn't. It says, it says, wow, the the Wikipedia on Bonkers is really uninformative. It said it was a a mid candy. uh, Sorry, it was a candy from the mid 80s. And that's all it says. It doesn't give you an exact year and it doesn't tell you when. It, it ended, but it definitely ended because it's in the past tense. It says, Bonkers was a candy. So in other words, this podcast has already given itself a reason to exist because someone who's listening can hopefully alter the Wikipedia entry for Bonkers. I hope because so, Because I'm yeah. not going to do it. You might do it. I wouldn't I, put how, it past, how would I, 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 I wouldn't know. I mean, if Wikipedia doesn't have the answers, then I wouldn't know where to get the answers. On bonkers. Oh, you could find them. Okay, actually, get this. Them. So when you Google bonkers candy, you know how it says people also ask, "Are bonkers yeah. candy still made? When was bonkers candy di- discontinued?" So this is like this question that <laughs> is very much on people's yeah, everyone minds. Everyone wants to know. So let's see what Google says. When was it discontinued? Discontinued in the '90s. Okay, again, that's very non-specific. <laughs> Like Reality Bites came out, and then Bonkers was just like, oh, our target demographic has grown up. So maybe it's because it's phased out regionally that they can't give an exact date, but I feel like I missed out. If any listeners know when Bonkers was officially discontinued, get a hold of us. Now there's a big new flavor, Bonkers Watermelon. Mouth-watering watermelon with an extra fruity middle. Makes me want to eat it up. (laughs) New Watermelon Bonkers. Bonks you out. They had a chocolate bonkers, and I've heard people say that it's awful. Yes, I think I told you that when we were talking about bonkers. And, you know, it's it might just have been my expectations, right? Because bonkers, I think, was kind of doing this great advertis- advertising style from comic book days where you'd, like, get previews, you know? Like, bonkers would be like, we have exciting new flavors out. And they'd tell you, like, seven or eight new flavors Oh in, yeah, these- in an ad. These print ads that I'm looking at are definitely taken straight out of comic books. In fact, one of my favorite things to get out of thrift store is like a 25 cent comic book, because then I can cut out the ads and hang them on my wall, you know? Yeah, there were some really cool ads in the late 80s and late early 90s, uh, obviously for video games, for candy, uh, for... Um... I have a lot of retro uh, comic book ads stashed away in a box in the garage and now I'm freaking out because like a lot of fucking some assholes have been moving stuff in the garage lately so like I'm like oh god like is it still there am I going to be able to find it I have precious precious ads I have an ad announcing the addition of green to tricks cereal like that's how <laughs> historical why did, why did they make green tricks why did they because make green tricks it, because tricks is a rainbow why would you not make you know it's not that they made all green tricks it's that they added oh green the addition tricks. of green yes I, I remember whenever they would add a new color that was uh, yeah that's really like, a big deal that's deeply historical stuff pre-green tricks is just I believe it's like yellow red orange and purple and that's it that's <laughs> it was very kind of lacking and it was all like warm colors as they call it you know so bonkers, shades of red and yellow bonkers was very childhood for me it was not something that continued into my teens i don't yeah, even know if after i was 12 years in the old, 90s you know but but in the 80s at the dawn of me going to like not even arcades, but, you know, convenience stores, donut shops, pizza places that had, like, one game or something. I'd be messing with Bonkers pretty hard. So, uh, and, pizza places. Yeah. You, you bought... There were pizza places selling Bonkers, or you brought your Bonkers? No, but I mean, I'd probably BYOB, bring Bonkers bring your pocket. own Bonkers. Yeah, it was a BYOB thing, and, you know, I'd be playing Arkanoid Tabletop. 
You wow, know, you got or, to, that's some deep cut taste. This is in the '90s. You're playing Arkanoid. You're playing tabletop uh, games in the '90s. Late. I mean, I did too, but it was mid, hard to mid come to across. late '80s, but also in the '90s, we had lots of tabletop games in in the city for yeah. a long time. We I the, could, the, the place called Massimo's for years had a Galaga tabletop. Yeah, and it might have had an Arkanoid tabletop. Obviously, Arkanoid tabletop was a little harder to find. Yeah, you know the classic ta- the two classic tabletops would be. Pac-Man and Galaga for me, I would say. <clears throat> I only saw Pac-Man tabletops growing up, and I've eaten. I've actually eaten off of Pac-Man tabletops. I don't know if you've ever eaten off a tabletop, but it. Oh it's yeah, a, a million times. I mean, this pizza place was really good. Eating off of a <laughs> video game is like, it makes you feel like God, you know. Yeah, you really feel like a king. And Pac-Man is food themed too, so like, you're, you know, it feels appropriate. I've eaten the burgers and fries off of Pac-Man. Well, there's a food theme kind of to a lot of those old video games inherently because it's like, yes, Pac-Man is definitely, he's eating the thing. Galaga, not so much. But um, but Arkanoid, it's like the ball makes these little uh, two, like cylinders come out and then you get eat those essentially and then they give you powers. Like I want to talk about Arkanoid for a second. Motion. I, yeah. I don't, I'm, I... It's a physics game. I don't know what Arkanoid is, but game. when oh, I type it really? into Google, Google says, did you mean carcinoid? And all I get are pictures of skin cancer. No, it's not skin cancer. It was. It does kind of sound like a How do you spell it? I'm, I'm struggling to find it. A-R-K-A-N-O-I-D. That's where I was tripping up. Like an arc and the noid. And the noid, yeah. From pizza, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ah, interesting. It's the oh, it's, it's like it's a lot the, like that game Breakout. Breakout, it's basically yeah, it's exactly Breakout. the you're, same as Breakout, but it's kind of it's by Taito. Yeah, and uh, oh, it's Taito, I like them. Be- they made a beautiful, Ninja Warriors. great one of the great video game makers of the eighties and nineties for sure, Taito, and uh, they uh, yeah they um, uh, it's the colors are really nice in Arkanoid. There's a metallicness to everything that's really cool. It was the first video game I think I saw where there was like gleaming was simulated, you know, and I always thought that was kind of neat. And um, I never really played Breakout because that was before my time, you know, Interesting. but Arkanoid I played to Breakout. me was like, um, like Breakout is Arkanoid, not the other way around, even though lots of people would disagree with that, including say, history. But you're saying that Arkanoid came out first and Breakout copied them? No, I'm saying that like... In my mind, in, in my your mind, eyes, yeah, I, I, I discovered the concept of a breakout type game with Arkanoid. So well, it's, I def- it's definitely cooler than Breakout. It has, yeah, uh, exactly. It, you know, it's made by a, a Japanese developer. Um, it has cool box art. You know, I had some really formative games that I think had more to do. There were games that had to do with my love of style and art, like a game like Shinobi and sound mm-hmm. design. And then there were games that kind of got to me on the deeper level. Arkanoid was because it was like a physics game. And then mm-hmm. SimCity kind of was as well. Um, just because of the uh, the fact that I used old Macintoshes in the 80s, like Mac Plus and Mac Classic. And essentially the Macintosh version of SimCity looked like it was made with like Mac Paint or something, like a program that you would just use uh, as just a regular person. Uh, you know, uh, using a Mac, but lots of the Macintosh games, you know, looked like the graphics were designed with McPaint. There were lots of like sort of text and image, uh, you know, like a still image with some text kind of things. And it was a really good aesthetic. And um, SimCity really was uh, cool. And it was nice having an entire city just kind of relying on me to provide the electricity, but it did not work out well for the population. For the Sims, no, they died. No. Uh, I mean, it wasn't quite the Sims where there's, yeah, yeah, but definitely you would see the number that's the population reduced and go, aye, aye, aye. I think before you run for office, uh, you should have to be able to complete a game of SimCity very successfully. Like, if you can't. I think that's a great idea. If you can't run a SimCity, then you definitely shouldn't be able to run a country. Yeah. And, you know, farmers should have to play Sim Ant. 
or maybe not Sim Ant, but you know. If I, if no, I mean ants are basically nature's farmers, right? I mean, I yes, had an exactly. ant farm. I actually had an ant farm growing up. Those things are funny. They have the little. What did uh, it look like? How you, big were the ants? So you've never encountered an ant farm in your childhood? Not, not really. No. Yeah, which is weird because I loved. I I thought of that kind of thing as like special occasion things. Like I'd have to go to the museum to see bugs in a jar or a zoo to see bugs in a jar. So I'm looking up ant farm and uh, the most well-known, like the classic American, you know, like we're talking like slinky type of classic toy. It's called Uncle yeah. Milton's Ant Farm. And I had this growing up. And wow. it's a, like a very thin plastic screen with like a cross section with a, a layer of dirt that you can actually watch the ants. You can watch the ants tunnel through the dirt because it's, you know, a cross section of clear plastic. And then above right. the dirt, there's like a really cheesy <laughs> sort of like plastic cutout of a the silhouette of a farm with little, you know, silos and stuff. It's really. Oh, I like that. Yeah. They're trying so, to say it's a farm. Yeah. Ants, ants and farms, in my mind, are, are very uh, tied together. I mean, that that's probably why I did say it. And uh, yeah, the, the no, but I never had an ant farm. I think I would have been too afraid of dropping it and then ants are all everywhere. You the know, ants definitely doesn't... die at one point. Like ants can't survive. There's no food in that farm. <laughs> it's a toy. It's okay. So they, they, it's the only toy you can buy that comes with a, a living creature. <laughs> like you open Does the box it, they and they come, they, they come with ants. Is they that do the idea? They do come with ants. So it's a yeah. very, how many toys can you say come with <laughs> a sentient See, like... life form? <laughs> I feel like that was, uh, well, sea monkeys, you know, were the other one. Sea monkeys and aren't alive, though. They're dehydrated shrimp carcasses, I thought. <laughs> I know. I think that they're dehydrated shrimp car carcasses that somehow reanimate in that water because you feed them. Uh, really? I, I didn't think they were actually alive. I thought they just, you pretend I mean, they're alive. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm really just, that's a lot of assumptions. That I'm throwing out there. Okay, I gotta I, I, I gotta do Sea Monkeys Wikipedia to answer this question now. Sea monkeys is a marketing term used to refer to brine shrimp that are sold as novelty aquarium pets. <laughs> okay, so that makes it sound like they're alive. <laughs> sea monkeys. Ew, oh, they're so disgusting shrimp. looking under a microscope. <laughs> okay, so I guess well, they are alive. Yeah. Okay, exactly. so they're sold. They're sold as eggs, and then the Ew. eggs, <laughs> and then the eggs hatch. I think it's the same right. with the ant farm. I think the ants are sold as eggs. Like I think these certain creatures in egg form are just like have a really long shelf life, and as soon as you add like the right catalyst, the eggs will hatch, and then sort of the then the countdown will begin on their lifespan or whatever. Well, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that at some point, the addition of food to an ant farm was made. Uh, in like 40 to 50 to 60 or longer year yeah. history of, of ant farms. I just think there can't be no innovation. Uh, maybe you know, the dirt was edible. Maybe it was like a mixture of dirt and like brown sugar. I mean, I, I don't really recall the details of Uncle <laughs> Milton's ant farm, which, by the way, you can still buy. UncleMilton.com is selling ant farms right now. That's that's an internal marketing move, by the way, is throwing the word uncle. Yeah, in, that is very weird. You know? <laughs> the only other marketing <laughs> uncle I can think of is Uncle Ben's rice. Oh. There's also Uncle Ray's chips, which is a quality low-cost chip in, in Canada. Canada, yeah. We don't have those here. You might have it on the East Coast. I mean, the regionality of a lot of sweets always shocked me. If anything, I, f I feel like the the U.S.-Canada divide between us is... There's that, but there's also an East and West Coast divide, and I feel like the Coast divide might even be more uh, pronounced. I, I I think so because I was getting US TV from um, upstate New York. Yeah. And and you were not, you know? And eventually our cable package our our cable package included WGN which was a Chicago station and uh also a uh what you call it uh was it was it Washington, Chicago and Boston. Yeah, I my Stations growing up were um, 
UPN and KOFY. And, well, uh, we did get UPN eventually. Oh, sorry, not UPN, KBHK. U- KBHK was the UHF station, which was bought by UPN, but the programming stayed the same. But I think your version of UPN might have been different. My version of UPN had Simpsons syndication episodes. It had Star Trek Next Generation syndication. And for a very brief time, it had home movies. So it's like, talk about like, a, you know, yeah. home run, I, I, grand slam. Well, no, it did have that kind of stuff. I Your, mean, yours also I, had those shows. Pretty much. I, I feel like I came into the UPN situation around the same time as the WB mm-hmm. when they, on top of the stuff you mentioned, they also touted a lot of sort of like African-American sitcoms. Right. I mean, Mad TV had a joke about that. As Mad TV did like things that make white people nervous, you know, and it was like the UPN Monday night lineup. It was always Monday night. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember being so, I was just, I was a huge UPN fan growing up. So when they announced that they had a whole new programming block, I was so fucking hyped, you know? Sorry, we, we can swear on this podcast, eh? Um, yeah. I, I held back for a second because, you know, I, I, when I'm a guest, I always am a little, like... Right, I, you know, but, uh, but you just got more excited. Yeah, Moesha and um, Hanging... No, not Hanging with... Um, it um, had a really generic name. Sister, was, Sister... LL Cool J was the um, the star of Oh, the... the one with LL Cool J. Yeah, I don't remember that. what that was called. Then on In the House, it's LL versus his mortal enemy. I want to hit you so hard you don't wake up to Afros come back. Moesha and In the House, starting Tuesday night at 8 on UPN 44. The marketing push for these two shows was so big. Like, and in, back in the day, I was really young and dumb. I thought if there was a lot of marketing for something, that meant it was a big cultural event. I didn't... You know, it's like, oh, my God, like, you know, Batman and Robin is at Taco Bell. Like, I got to see this movie now. Like, this is. <laughs> no, yeah, it was very weird. Like, the fact that Jurassic Park was sort of also included in our, like, food was such an yeah. exciting thing. And it was, it somehow went, I mean, we had, like, goldfish memory or something. You know, anytime yeah. there was some sandwich that incorporated a movie, it was it felt like that, like uh, you know, the atom had been split or right. something. Do you, you remember know, was... which? I think it was McDonald's. That is, the, are they the ones who got Jurassic Park? I think it was. They must have been, yeah. Well, sometimes it can be. You you might be surprised. I mean, Burger King, they got Disney tie-ins, which kind of blows my mind because like, Disney is like the McDonald's of like movie companies, and yet. Burger King snatched them up. So you it's sometimes it's not always intuitive. Um You know, I do think that yeah, but but McDonald's had some too. I mean, they had uh, Eventually, they had eventually they yeah. did get some Disney, but like in the 90s Burger King had this contract. Uh so you had the like the Lion King toys were for Burger King. Oh, Burger King's Lion King lineup that is like historically one of the most profitable um kids meal toys uh campaigns ever it was so popular that they brought it back multiple times even after lion king was like no longer a thing <laughs> they just kept doing lion king stuff i mean uh, they squeezed they they try to keep lion king alive every eight years or so yeah the I'm, movie then you have that thing where like there was like the performance art broadway version and then yeah julie tamor's that, lion they, king yeah they milked that for like 10 years i want to see a then, julie tamor uh Kids meal, a uh, Lion King kids meal. <laughs> it would just be sort of, you know, like uh, batik, like be involved. My my fa- I got to tell you, my favorite Burger King kids movie tie-in is Ice Age, and here's why: because they released an Ice Age drink that was hella good, and you can make this on your own too. Like, uh, it was just it was a blue Slurpee. Or, uh-huh. or whatever the Burger King has its own like generic version of Slurpees. It was the blue that, plus vanilla soft serve ice cream on top. It was so it was like a, a blue Slurpee float. Um, do you? This is kind of a controversial question. Do you think that colors have? A flavor? Oh, 100%. Colors are flavors. To, to quote Homer Simpson, purple is a fruit. Right. Um, 
<laughs> Simpsons has made color flavor jokes at least twice. There's another joke in The Simpsons where um, I think it's like season one or two. It's like like vintage Simpsons where the bullies are walking out of Quickie Mart. Yeah. Uh, there's a, I want to say Jimbo, Kearney, and whatever. Right. Uh, and they go, they're, they're all drinking squishies. And they go, what flavor did you get? And he goes, blue. And like back then, that was like a pithy observation. That was, that was like yeah. a punchline back then. Like now, now no one would laugh at facts. that. They just feel like, yeah, blue. You blue know? is a flavor. In fact, I got to tell you, blue is my favorite Kool-Aid flavor. Uh, yeah, blue is a very, it's almost mystic, that blue Kool-Aid. It was called the Great Blue Dini. The mascot was an octopus magician like Houdini, but he was a, a blue octopus who did uh, blue magic. I don't know. They, they never told you what it, it was. It was just blue, and it tasted like, it was just like, it looked like Windex. And it just yeah. tasted like the most beautiful, chemically, you know, it's the artificialness of it. Like, I love it when it's not trying to taste like anything. It's just trying to be its own thing. Just an abstract. This is a problem that you bring up, though. You know, Windex, antifreeze, those are blue. Uh, yeah. But, they, they're not, but they're not good to drink. No, that's why you had all those commercials on TV like, hey, kids, I know this looks like candy, but you can't eat it. Today's smart topic is prescriptions that kids are mistaking for candy. Exactly. I mean, how do you keep your kids safe? I mean, you know, have you had some, uh, um, what are those things, those laxatives, those chocolate laxatives? Recently, I think I, I told you this, like I was at my mom's. I'm actually at my mom's right now, too. Mm -hmm. um, and I was watching, she has like, she still has cable on her TV. So like, I can just watch things that are on live. And... There was an episode of Married with Children on, and I was immediately like taken back to, you know, it's all about what I couldn't have. My parents didn't want me watching Married with Children, although it was a I found show. later on my dad, my dad had a stash of Married with Children that he taped, so he liked Married with Children, and so I wasn't able to start watching Married with Children until I was like twelve or thirteen. But this was a classic episode that was the No Ma'am episode, where. I think this was the dawn of no ma'am. Yeah, wow. This is where he is forced to, his bowling team can't bowl because there's like a woman's bowling night that night. Mm -hmm. And this prompts them to start an anti-woman society called no ma'am. And then they go on Jerry Springer. He was a misogynist folk hero. That's kind of, right, his character. I mean, he was he was also a little bit of like the butt of his own joke, you know, so. Oh, yeah. He wasn't glamorous. I mean, but at the same time, he was sort of uh, he was kind of heroic at the same time. Yeah. I mean, the, the idea then was that for a man to like put his hand down his pants and watch TV was like that was for some reason a heroic gesture to Fox viewers, you know. And he always said Marcy looked like a bird. I don't, I don't remember that. I never really watched the show that much. Um, the jokes kind of went over my head. I was too young, but I was like definitely enthralled by it. The the forbidden nature of it, the the crassness of it, wasn't lost on me. When he puts his hand down his pants, I remember always wondering, like, I guess is he scratching himself or is he like just he likes the way. It feels just to have the comfort yeah, of a hand on like, his dick. It's like it's, it's like early. It wasn't even on his dick. I mean, this is the thing. It was like some of the probably the earliest evidence in 1990s and 80s culture, like sitcom culture of like someone who might be like stimming, <laughs> you know, like he needs to hold his hand tucked between his belt, which is sort of like on your abdomen, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and it makes him comfortable and calm and he can watch, uh, I don't remember the shows he was watching, but you know, they were. Yeah. I, I'll give you a, I saw a clip on YouTube not that long ago of, it was one of those, you know, heroic moments for Al Bundy, but like in this weird kind of Al Bundy misogynist way, his, his arch nemesis was sort of a faceless collective of extremely privileged overweight women who came into the shoe store that, that was just like nemesis yes. throughout the show it, yes they would always and a lot of the problem was just that he didn't like being near their feet. yeah he, he 
if I recall. That was like a major issue was like, you know, he would just be really, he'd frown in a grotesque way and they'd say they had some problem with their feet as their feet. There was one scene where uh, one of these women is just completely talking down to him and telling him what a loser he is and blah, blah, blah. And he says, like, Al Bundy gives this long speech about how horrible his life is. But he says, but you know what? I'm still a winner because I haven't killed myself. (laughs) You know what his favorite TV show was? It was in season five. It's around 1992. His favorite TV show that he watched was called Psycho Dad. (laughs) Who's that riding into the sun? Who's the man with the itchy gun? Who's the man who kills for fun? Psycho Dad. He sleeps with a gun, but he loves his son. Killed his wife because she weighed a ton. Wow. Psycho dad. They just cannot let go of these these jabs at, at fat women. It's- I mean, the 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 there was like a lot of dysmorphia involved in that film or TV show. Like, you know, Katie Siegel was like, you know, Al Peg Bundy being sort of viewed as grotesque yeah she was hot (laughs) and unattractive was like really weird she had terrible fashion sense i think that was her thing is like she wasn't unattractive but she had just she wore the most awful the color clashing outfits with like the most ridiculous hair and nails but like but she was still like hot am i the only one getting turned on here (laughs) what was your favorite part of playing peggy it was just a big the way women are portrayed in the show is they are, uh, it's always a different woman each time, but they're all playing the same character. You know, there's, you have the really um, entitled, complaining, you know, this is before the word Karen existed, but the Karen's these really entitled, overweight women who came into the shoe store to make Al's life hell. And then you'd have these like hot, like 90s supermodel, like Coors Light, commercial babes who Al Bundy was constantly lusting after and he would always get cock blocked somehow. Uh, you know, he didn't seem, and also no ma'am, they, didn't they always go to the quote unquote nudie bar? That I believe might be the debut of the nudie bar visit and the, um, you know, sort of limericks, you know, the limericks that they would do, you know, the nudie bar. Right, they wrote that poem about the nudie bar. I remember that. They had a whole poem about it. Yeah, every guy said a verse. And yeah, and then they would, and then like I think like the main hook they would all say together in unison. I know where we can go. To the last great bastion for the American red-blooded male, where there is no such thing as ladies' night. And the nudie bar! Where a buck's enough to see their stuff. <laughs> Where the breasts may be fake, but man, do they shake. <laughs> it was quite an iconic episode I caught, and it felt like such a throwback to being at home and at your parents' house, and you turn on the TV and you're channel flipping. You know, it just, there's something, I hope that you know, at one time our generation becomes secure enough that we can just sit down and channel flip, you know, as, as, a, as, as a population. So even though the show had all this misogyny, they, the neighbor, wasn't the next door neighbor like a feminist, as I recall? Marcy? Yeah, but she was, she was also a nemesis. She was a nemesis. She was a she was actually, She was kind of the main nemesis, you know. In a lot of ways. But she would often get the best. She was smarter than Al. You know, she was always depicted as like kind of being better than Al in every way. And she would often. Everyone was always getting the best. Yeah, she would always humiliate him. And it would be a whole thing where like, you know, the things he wanted were so minor. that, And when he would get those, it was like a huge um, celebratory moment. Yeah. I mean, everything is more political now. Um, but even back then, Married with Children was, I think, was a political show. But it was also a, a loathed show. It was. You know, there were lots of people, like, 
who would not let, especially their kids, watch. No, it was not like my parents appropriate for children. It. it was a 9 p.m. show. It was a naughty, I mean, that was the, the mystique and attraction of the show, is that it was yeah. like this forbidden fruit. Um, the distinction between 8 and 9 p.m. for programming was just, uh, it, it was decisive. It was a very clear distinction. So let's talk about like the the ensemble for a minute. You have we've we've covered Al pretty well. Peg, it seemed like her number one character is, and I didn't watch the show very much. And this is all going off of memories of seeing it as a child. So I'm you know I'm, these are very hazy impressions. But I feel like Peg was her number one trait is that she was horny and she wanted to have sex, but Al would not satisfy her. That was like the main joke. Yeah, a big part of it would be she'd be like, Al? Al, let's have sex. Uh, no pig. <laughs> that was the Simpsons version of it, but it was it was not far from that where he'd be like, uh, there's no one less attractive than you to me. Right. For something. Right. <laughs> I remember there was an episode where it was revealed that Al was like basically legally blind and then he had he got glasses so he could see and for the first time and he was just like horrified at seeing pegs so he just decided to live his life without the glasses um yeah i do kind of remember that <laughs> it was there were always like i i remember everyone i ever talked to about this show was like why was he so disgusted by peg like i would have hit it like that's kind of every guy's reaction to that show i mean katie siegel is I mean, her and Ed O'Neill, in terms of just both being very talented, you know, they're uh, yeah. Katie Siegel probably is more. I mean, they're both really, really good comic actors, so, and their voices are great. And I mean, Ed O'Neill, if it's only his Wayne's World cameo, you know, right? Ed O'Neill is that, a genius. Yeah, and he even managed to take it into you know. I, I wasn't watching Modern serious Family, serious drama. But He's also a serious dramatic actor. He's done like Oh, I could detective. totally see that. He's played Dutch. He, he, yeah, he's definitely played like detectives <laughs> on cop shows and stuff. Does he is that where he started the hand thing, do you think? Like he'd sit <laughs> down and think about the case? Guilty or not? I don't know. I think it was after Married with Children that he started to get more serious roles. Um, which is kind of funny because you think he would have never been able to recover from that. Yeah, I mean it really speaks a lot to the uh quality of both of those actors and, and, and Christina Applegate, you know, where that, and Ted McGinley, I guess. And, but Christina but, Applegate go on to do anything. Yeah. Tons of stuff. Anchorman and oh, you know, okay. just like a bunch of like comedies, you know, she got breast cancer and. Oh, know. that's awful. You know, her character yeah. was, was basically from what I remember, she was just like, a valley girl and it was just a commentary on like 90s youth culture and mall rats but i guess i guess she was supposed to be a, a bimbo is the term that's a way of putting it but it was like the whole idea was she was like this yeah this vapid promiscuous um uh, just another albatross around al bundy's neck i mean that was like a big part of it was his son was like sort of a dud you know, like the, all, every joke I can recall about Bud was that he was a virgin. That's like was his whole shtick. Like he was trying to lose his virginity and he couldn't. That's kind of what I remember. He even tried to he tried to get laid once by telling a girl that he was dying and like was trying to get like a make a wish kind of thing. Yeah, he's uh, he was a, a very pathetic character. And yeah. I don't know what it was. David Faustino, I think it's just, you know, young men a lot of the time. There's just so many changes in between when they're hi uh, first hired as like eight year old actors or ten year old actors to the if a show's successful and then suddenly they're like eight eighteen and like haven't had yeah. a second to like review. That's right. You know. When the show first began, they were like just kids, kids, and it's like yeah, there were lots of things that changed. The show became more grotesque as it went on, you know, and and so. You know, huh. I'd be uh, Katie Siegel got one. like uh, breast implants and she suddenly had these ridiculous boobs. And Really? I didn't know that. You know, yeah, Chris. Oh, there's a huge difference between the first two seasons of Married Children and, you, and, you, and the uh, ones. How do you know about these implants? Did you look it up or did you It just... was very obvious. It was like one of those situations where like the difference was just. Very I mean, it could have it just been like the costume department 
you know, with using a padding. Well, again, if listeners who are checking into the bonkers Wikipedia also want to get back to me about whether Katie Siegel did or did not get braced implants, breast implants, let me know. And uh, I think either choice on her part is, is absolutely killer and fine. I mean, it makes sense that it was on Fox too. Fox was the edgy was the edgy channel by far. Did you ever get in Canada those like world's wildest police chases and all that crap, or is that just like oh American totally thing? yeah we had all that stuff and that stuff wasn't even on late at night that stuff was on at like four p.m. seven eight yeah they did Alien yeah, Autopsy it, it, was hilarious yeah you know what was another show that was on Fox that was a huge part of Married with Children like it was kind of like almost felt like a subsidiary uh was uh studs i no, that that's news to me i i missed that one. Oh, you gotta watch clips of studs studs was like a sleazed out version of the dating game basically where like the stuff that uh you know the people were saying was at the time viewed as beyond risque like uh i'm gonna try to find the wiki for it and i'll i'll, I'll read you to it so and it was so short-lived. Wow. Okay, check this out. I can't believe you don't know Studs. Um, but it makes sense because you were a bit young. Studs is an American television game show produced by Fox for local television stations. Um, it aired from March 91 to September 93. And um, it was... A format similar to those of the dating game and love connection, although posed some controversy because the questions used relied more heavily on sexual innuendo um, and uh, and uh, horniness. Um, in some episodes, the genders were reversed with two women dating the same three men, studettes. Ron Goldman was an, a contestant on studs. I did not know that. You know who Ron Goldman is? I'm looking that up right now. Ron Goldman. Oh, he looks like... Uh, he was one of the people... He was murdered by... O.J. Simpson. I mean, allegedly. I mean, not, they found him not guilty. Uh-huh. But, yeah. So he was a friend yeah. of Nicole Brown. He was murdered along with... Yeah. Or... Yeah. Here are some quotes I'm finding on images of, of studs. The aftershock of his powerful pucker sent ripples down my spine. I mean, that's like, could be from the 1940s. He yeah. teased me in places I didn't know I had. Ooh, ooh, baby's got bod. I adored every ringlet on his handsome head. One slurp of my juicy fruit and he started to gag. One wow. mighty bump and his nectar splushed, splashed all over us. And then there's one that says, wow, one thrust of his tool. <laughs> that's kind of getting into... Pretty horny territory. Oh, and this whole good show. It was very Married with Children adjacent, and I was basically like, I don't even know if I wasn't allowed to watch it, but like I didn't allow myself to watch it, you know, because it was just too, too insane. Yeah, the only dating shows I, I, I remember Love Connection, which I never really watched. I just like passed through it, um, but just had had a great theme song, great title graphics great set the set was incredible for love connection it looked like um it looked like a a mall some kind of mall food court eatery like just the jeopardy was cool because you kind of felt like you were in a computer or something and uh <laughs> you know then then there were the ones that uh, i'm just trying like an old ass like windows 92 to yeah. a computer, not like a, a like futuristic No, no, you were computer. in an IBM of some kind, you know. Yeah, exactly. And I can't watch game shows now. I'm sure they're no. exactly the same, but I can't no, watch them. Who wants to you be know? a millionaire basically like rewrote the, the look and feel of game shows and I don't like it. I mean, it all became, you know, I, I'm sure it has something to do with British game shows. I think British yeah. game shows kind of got into like celebrating tense moments, you know, because Weakest Link was also part of that. Um, game-changing trend uh, in game shows. So at the start of COVID in 2020, 
mm-hmm. Netflix made a very, very smart decision and decided to make available like the first three seasons of Supermarket Sweep, which is a game right. show that I never, I never even watched. I never even knew this show existed, even though oh, I, it was a thrill. Think of the fun you, you could have on Supermarket Sweep. And the, t- the timing of it was perfect. They knew that people were just at home. They were feeling they needed an escape. And it's such a, just a wholesome, just, there's Crystal Pepsi on the shelf. There's, <laughs> you, you know, they, it's just perfect. Take what you can. Pillage in a, in a brief, it's a spree. I mean, also at that time, the idea of sprees, going yeah. into a store and just taking everything you could, like winning that. That was a prize that you could win. Um, KB Toys, I remember like a lot of kids' shows, like you could win like a 20 minute like spree in KB Toys, like just like grab as much yeah. shit as you can and you get to keep it. What if you screwed up, you know, and you kind of yeah. choked? And you just yeah. didn't take what enough if, toys. What if like the kid fell down and hurt himself and they just let the clock run? While he cried and he didn't get to take anything home. I mean, right. you signed the contract. There's so much pressure on the kid. Super Toy Run, a game-grabbing, toy-snagging rampage through a KB Toy Works store. You got everything you wanted? Yeah, and more. It's minutes. Jessica Williams of Edmonds, Washington won first prize, a three-minute run. No! The winners went wild. 108 video games. One house. Five, five, eight, four, Both three, KB seven, Toys no. and Toys R Us went out of business because of Mitt Romney. <laughs> His investment firm, uh, like, sank them both. They, they both took out loans from Mitt and went under. There was, like, no reason Toys R Us needed to go out of business as fast as No, it was cruel, and it's hurtful. But, like, the one silver lining is that they get to come back once a year as Spirit Halloween Superstore. I do love that we, you and I definitely have hung out at, like, Toys R Us. We did go to once. Toys R Us one time, I remember. Only one time? No, I feel like we went... We, we hung out in the toy section at Target more than once. <laughs> but we only I feel like I only have one memory of going to Toys R Us, and I remember just being in shock. Yeah, at, it was the Atwater Village one. Yeah. Right? Being in shock at which franchises were getting all the shelf space. Five Nights at Freddy's has like had like half an aisle to itself, which kind of blows my mind because it's such a crappy... I mean, though, I, that's a whole other cat thing to talk about. But yeah, I barely know what Five Nights at Freddy's is, and yet it's insanely ever... Like, it's a video game, I guess. But damned if I know. I don't know. There's something about this game that makes me think it's one of these things where it's like a great example of just how lazy pleasure has become. Yeah, the more lazy pleasure becomes, uh, the harder it is to appreciate things. Like, if you told me back in 1999 that I could, like, watch every episode of an anime, like, you know, on my computer, like, anytime I want, like, that would have been, like, life-changing. And now it's just like, eh, you know, I'll watch it for five minutes and I'll skip to the next thing. It's the... It's buffet syndrome, you know? It's just you have, end up with a lot of uneaten food on your plate because there's an unlimited supply of everything. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's it. It's just like there's something about that that, that happened where, you know, we... Like I said, I was watching cable and I chanced upon something, you know? Yeah, which is I mean, like, I think really that's happens. why I'm, I'm going to thrift stores and being like, oh... Like, I buy a DVD thinking someone's going to want to buy this DVD at some point in my life. But I also yeah. buy it because I'm like, like, I bought something called, like, America's Hardest Bounty Hunters. <laughs> Thrift stores are really the last place where you can experience the joy of discovering physical media by accident. Sadly, I feel like that the era that I'm most interested in has kind of cycled out of thrift stores and filtered its way into, like, eBay obscurity and high prices. Like I, I, I rarely see tr- truly been like everything is now like 2005 and up at the thrift store. It feels like. Nah, I mean, me. I'm finding I'm finding a lot of your thrift scene is probably really better. useless dead stock. Like probably I've got some Looney Tunes dead stock that I do not know what to do with. Like I have quite a lot of these like party invite sized 
So like mini sized Looney Tunes envelopes from like the early nineties that were made in Canada. And they have like Yosemite Sam and Tweety and you know, all the people on them and like individually, but Mm -hmm. it's like, I don't even know how to sell those. So you say mini envelopes. The first thing I think of is Valentine's day. uh, Yeah. Sort of Valentine sized a little bit. I want to that. So the branded, the branded Valentine's with like popular kids show characters that is the weird that is just the weirdest thing because i mean first of all school like grade school valentine's day is freaking bizarre because boys and girls are repulsed by each other at that age but like the adults are like forcing them to like act out courtship which is fucking weird and (laughs) and it's like also to gauge their popularity yeah fortunately their own to see how they're social to like have their social skills and how they're viewed like thrown in their face at right. school. The like the choo choo choose me episode of The Simpsons really touched on that. Exactly Fortunately, like at that. my school, they had uh, rules in place to prevent that kind of humiliation. Everyone had to basically you have to have enough Give each for other everyone. Valentine. Yeah. yeah, it's also really out of character for a lot of the brands that they make Valentine's <laughs> cards for. It's like. You know, Wolverine, it's like, hey, Bubba, I have a crush on you, snicked. <laughs> I do not remember that, but that's pretty cool. I mean, I'm just um, like, I'm just making that up. I don't know what it actually says. I just says, feel but like it like was pretty... one of those things where, like, it was never like Donald Duck. But, you know, Minnie Mouse and Daisy Duck, they were all over Valentine's. But you weren't like, here's my Donald Duck Valentine's. Hmm. I... I wonder. I bet. I bet you could find a Donald Valentine if you did some digging. I'm sure. Yeah. Definitely but some Looney mean... Tunes Valentines. Taz. Yeah, Taz. But also, uh, what's his name? Pepe Le Pew, probably. Oh uh, yeah. Charming, forceful romancer. Yeah, he got like canceled. I heard. I being, guess for being rapey. I mean, how do you cancel someone who has? I mean, he wasn't in the that much content available. You just wipe them like out of existence. He was not. He wasn't in the crappy new Space Jam movie that they made. So, well, I have to tell you, there are some very beautiful Donald Duck Valentines I found. Uh, the one I'm looking at right now is just a beautiful. I don't know what year it's from. It looks old. Uh, kind of like uh, pencil drawn, like color. Uh, illustration of donald with the nice kind of uh one of those like campaign hats you know huh like yeah a, a pork pie yeah, a, yeah like an election hat it's like yellow you know with like the black yeah, strip on I, it. yeah i think they're called pork pie hats and then with for the elections they like to put a little slip of paper in them so he's biking happily on a green bicycle with like a dove above his head and a dove below him and he's got a basket on his bike with a dog in it and a red um, you know, thing filled with bon- heart-shaped thing with bonbons, and then there's a light pink heart behind it, and a patch of nice yellow ground that he's biking on, and then like a sign pointing in the direction he's biking in, on top of some grass. That's so crazy. you really know I'm he's not... having a w- wonderful time, and that it says a Valentine for grandson. <laughs> that's that's also <laughs> weird. Is like uh, you know, when like parents and grandparents give valentines to their children because it's a again it's a courtship uh thing originally so if i mean at this point they should just it's like they're trying to turn it into like easter or something but it'll always have that weird subtext to it and then there's another beautiful valentines from 1939 uh it's i mean it is beautiful and it's uh, it's like it's like donald playing uh, like a Spanish guitar. He's kind of got a sombrero. He's talking to Daisy. He's like riding a mule with Daisy. The whole Valentine's heart-shaped. And he they're riding this mule that's like, its ears are so erect. They're just like taking <laughs> in this love. So he's playing for Daisy, who's got like a fan. She's like fanning herself. And it goes, I'm an old mule hand. And I think you're grand. All I want to do is make love to you. Is that what it really says? Yeah. No way. They would never say that. It's this family-friendly 
company in Disney. I don't know, but this is 1939, so it's like different terminology. Maybe making Did love make love is like, like mean just like like sharing a soda. That's what it used to mean. Could be. Could that be. That's freaking weird. I'm not seeing when I search for Donald Duck Valentine, I don't get any of this stuff. Well, I'm on DuckDuckGo. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. Well, of course you're on mm. DuckDuckGo cuz you're searching for ducks. <laughs> yeah, that's like I would have felt wrong to use another one. Well, damn. <laughs> I think we're pretty much good. I think I think we've had a lot of fun talking, and this is something I'd like to continue doing, just because we would be saying this to each other anyway. Yeah. Enough. Yeah. Okay. So or nicely I'll, enough. I'll let you do the wrap up thing, and I'll, we'll edit this little in between stuff out. Well, this has been fun. This has been a lot of fun. Let's do it again. Please, we can talk about anything. Yeah. <laughs>